everybody. Glad to see you today. Um, we're going to continue our look at living in Babylon, what it's like to live in a post-Christian environment, which we're certainly in right now. And um, uh, we've been talking about taking the limits off of God by Mr. Uh, Dr. James Richards. And um, the last time... Uh, one of the reasons that we're talking about this is the key thing about living in Babylon is that, that as a believer we have to understand what the scriptures say. Uh, what are our duties? What are our rights? Uh, what are, how is it that we're supposed to be living? So we have to understand our foundations. And part of what we're doing here is, is setting our foundation so that we can understand which direction it is that we need to go. Uh, we talked last time about... Everything is possible for him who believes. Um, and we're going to talk more about Mark chapter 9 in just a moment. But um, basically, uh, we talked about God healing people and understanding that God is not the person that makes sick people sick. God's not the one that sends sickness and disease. It's, we have an enemy. It's Satan. He's the one that does that. And by having a basic understanding of what God says about healing uh, and, uh, and other promises, we can begin to walk uh, in alignment with those promises and what the Word says, and uh, we can move in, in the right direction and be able to combat everything that the enemy is throwing at us right now. Um, one last note that came out of that chapter, and I don't know if we got it covered as well last time, but what Satan does is he attacks us and he knows our weak spots. He's a, he's a good strategist. He knows where our weak spots are. He knows what it is that bugs you. He knows what your wife can do to bug you or, or anything like that. And um, he'll get you to do things and then, and then condemn you because you did them. Uh, that's one of the key things that, that, that he does. That's one of his greatest weapons. Uh, he gets you to do things because he'll talk to you. He'll put a thought in your mind. You'll, th you'll dwell on it. Then you do it, and then he just dumps on you when you do it. And that's one of the things, condemnation, uh, that we don't have to put up with. But now today, uh, we're going to talk about help my unbelief. Now, that's a, that's a famous story in the Bible. And um, I want us to turn over to Mark chapter 9. And... Um, after the transfiguration, we're going to talk here about all things are possible. Now, I want to go briefly to Mark 9:14, And after the transfiguration, it says, And when they came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some, and some scribes immediately arguing with them. And when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running to greet him. Okay? So these guys are in an argument with the... Um, uh, with the scribes, and one of the interesting things about this is if you go back to Matthew chapter nine, uh, chapter 10, Jesus had given these guys all the authority that they needed over the enemy. He'd given them all the authority they needed to cast out demons. He'd given them all the authority they needed to do what it is he's called them to do. But in this case, uh, Jesus said, what are you guys disputing about? Teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, 
He foams at the mouth, grinds his, grinds his teeth, and becomes stiff. I told your disciples, but they could not cast it out. Now, why couldn't they cast it out? Jesus answers this, and there's a, there's a critical point here, and I think it's important to spend some time on it, and I want you to think about this. He says, O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you, and how long shall I put up with you? Uh, bring him to me. Uh, kind of reminds me of what Elisha said. Uh, bring him to me. Then they'll know there's a prophet in Israel. Um, Jesus is saying, bring him to me. And he calls him unbelieving generation. He goes down he casts the demon out of the guy. And uh, the disciples uh, come up to him and say, why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus is very clear. He said, and this kind comes out not by fast... Pardon me. This kind cannot come out by anything except prayer. And some people, and, and some verses have in there fasting and prayer. The point is not that this de- not, this is not talking about the demon. He's talking about the unbelief. The unbelief that, that prevented them from curing this young man that, that they brought to him. Um, now, one of the more interesting things that I want you to, to look about, uh, I've heard I've heard people, when I've talked to people about healing and so forth, I've heard um, pastors and other people say, um, what you're saying is wrong. You, you cannot tell somebody that's been believing for healing, they don't get healed, you can't tell them that their faith wasn't strong enough. Okay? Let's talk about that for a minute. I'm not saying to, to jump down on somebody and say, well... You know, my faith stronger than yours. The reason you didn't get healed is because of such and such and such and such. What I'm saying is, Jesus has laid out the plan for us to follow, and it sounds to me as if it's arrogant to think that we would follow it, and because we because we thought we followed it, and it didn't get healed, that they thought it was God's will that the person not be healed. I've had that told to me many times, and I've had people say. You can't tell them that their faith wasn't strong enough. Well, Jesus didn't have a problem with that. Why couldn't we cast it out? Because of your unbelief. If you go back to Mark chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus was in his hometown and said he could not cast out. He could not do any miracles there. He didn't say he wouldn't do. He didn't say he didn't want to do. He said he could not do any miracles there because of their unbelief. So, uh, unbelief will stop us dead in our tracks. There's no other way to, to, to put it. Now, let's talk a little bit. Let's, let's go on a little bit further about this. Um, the writer brings up a great point that says that when he was taught about healing and miracles, and, and this, this is really a, an important point, he says he was being taught about healing and miracles and prosperity and the promises of God by people that had never experienced them. Um, then he goes on down and he talks about how uh, ludicrous it is for someone that has never spoken in tongues, never experienced the gifts of the Spirit, to be teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. Can't, that, that doesn't work. Uh, somebody that has never spoken in tongues can't teach you anything about tongues uh, because they've never experienced it. They don't have the gift. They don't know anything about the gift other than what somebody's told them about it. Um, 
I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1978, started speaking in tongues then, speaking in tongues every day, all the time sometimes. Just love it. It's a great gift. But you can't tell me that you can't speak in tongues and it's not for today because I'm already experiencing it. I'm already walking in that revelation. Now, um, and he went on and he said, after I got, after I... Uh, learned about healing, and after I began to, to believe God for things, he said, I was being taught by people that were slowly chipping down my faith. They were slowly knocking my faith off of its rightful place because they were telling me, well, these things don't happen anymore. This doesn't happen. God doesn't do this, and so forth and so on. God doesn't heal today. Uh, healing is not part of the atonement. That doesn't mean what it says, and so forth and so on. And he said the, the negative teaching began to take root in his heart. And I have to admit, I, I find myself in the same, in the same position. Uh, I know what the right thing to do is, but I do not always do it as it's supposed to be done. And that bothers me, but it's just the reality. Uh, even though I know what it is I need to be do, I let other things crowd in sometimes, and I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't, don't walk where I'm supposed to be walking. Now, that's probably endemic of all of us, but in this case, as this man goes on and he's talking, he's telling the story about how he got out of this. Um, he said when he was 28 years old, um, he got very sick, uh, deathly sick, and he goes to pastors and he goes to, talks to various people about it. Nobody, nobody was able to explain to him anything about what the Bible said about healing. So as a result, he stayed sick. Um, thousands of dollars spent on medical bills, and he got no better. Um, he said, finally, the Lord spoke to him. And I want, to, I want you to hear what he, how he described what the Lord said to him. The Lord spoke to my heart and said, You are not being changed into my glory. You are be In fact, the first thing he read was 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let me read that. Let me read that to you. 2 Corinthians 3.18. That's in the New Testament. I know it is. There it is. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled faces, looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit of God. But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image. Now, uh, the Lord spoke that scripture to him and then said, You are being changed into what you have been told that I was, or that I am. You have a religious veil over your heart. You don't see me as the healer that I am. You see me as the kind of healer you were taught that I am. Amen to that. I, I, I can remember the teachings that I got, and um, I, I can remember one pastor stood up and said, you know, God will make you sick and the devil will heal you sometimes just to confuse you. I, uh, he said that honest. And Julia and I, uh, I went and talked to him about it, and it didn't work out like I'd hoped it would. But the point is, is that that's the teaching that we were suffering under back in the 70s. Now, um, he went on and he, he read uh, Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 7 and 8, and I'm going to go back to that. Mark chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And here's what he said. 
And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. So, we've set aside what God actually said in His Word. My my favorite footnote in a study Bible, when Jesus said you can have what you say, the footnote said, well, Jesus didn't really mean you could have what you say. Well, why did He say it then? You know, that's the point to, to be made. I think the Bible is so clear and so easy to read, it's just so hard to do. Um, I quote, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, G.K. Chesterton, and I want you to get this. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Okay, Christianity hasn't failed when we've been trying it. We just haven't tried it. We've given up way before we should. Now, he goes back, and Jesus tells them that you nullify the Word of God by the traditions of men. So part of what our foundation is, is to understand and learn exactly what the, uh, what the traditions are that we're not supposed to do, and what does the Scripture say we are supposed to do. It's that separation between what we know and what we should be doing. is two different things. Now, if you go on from here, he gets back to Galatians chapter 3, and, and turn to Galatians for just a moment, and I want to read these scriptures to you because they're very powerful. Starting in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, I'm going to read down to verse 14. And just as Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Therefore recognize that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. You and I operating in faith, we are sons of Abraham. We're born-again believers, and we're sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham. They're blessed with Abraham, the believer. For all who are of works of the law are under a curse. Get that. You got blessing, you got curse. Are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them. Now, that no one is justified by the law is evident, for the God said the righteous one will live by faith. Now, we move into some critical verses here. However, the law is not on faith. On the contrary, the person who performs the law must live by it. Now, verse 13, and listen to what he said. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay, so we've got two key words here. We've got blessing. And we've got cursed. Now, when you read this carefully, read what Jesus said, or what Paul said about Jesus. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, if he, had, if he paid the price for it, we don't have to. Now, here's where the simplicity comes in. Here's where the foundation comes in. Turn back. To, uh, you can find this also in Leviticus, but uh, Deuteronomy is the best 
uh, subject of it, the summary of it. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. That's on page 219 in my Bible. Now, the first 14 verses are the blessings of the law. The Lord your God will put you high above all the nations of the earth. The Lord God will cause your enemies to rise up against you to be defeated by you. They will go out against you one way and flee seven ways. Verse 10. So all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. Go down to verse 12, last part of verse 12. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. Verse 13, the Lord will make you the head, not the tail, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, to follow them carefully, and do not turn aside from any of the words which I am commanding you today. Go to the right or the left to pursue them. Now, that's the blessings of the law. Now, let's go back, starting in verse 15. You can go from verse 15 all the way over to verse 68, and you got the curse of the law. Jesus bore the penalty when he died on the cross for the curse of the law. So Jesus was a curse for us, meaning he bore what's in this curse for us so we don't have to. And you can travel through here, and I'm telling you, if you listen to these things, you go down to verse 27 is a good example. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and the festering rash and with scabies from which you cannot be healed. Man, that's not a good thing. And when it says the Lord will strike you, let's briefly put that into perspective. What he's really saying is, uh, because you didn't obey the law, because you didn't, you didn't buy into it, God gave you a choice. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. If you don't do that, then this is going to happen. Well, this part of it is what happened when they didn't follow the law. So this is on verse 27. Now, you can travel on from there, and you go over to verse 58, and I just challenge you to read these things and find out what's in there, and if you're underneath any of these things, then you're under the curse of the law, and you don't have to be. What we want to do is show as part of the foundation of living in Babylon how to get out from underneath the curse of the law. Now, verse 58 of Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you're not careful to follow all the words of the law that are written in the book, fear fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, severe and lasting plagues, miserable and chronic sickness, and He will bring back on you every disease of Egypt of which you were afraid, and that they will cling to you. And then verse 61, also, Every sickness and every plague which are not written in the book of this law, the Lord will bring on you until you are destroyed. So, Jesus is very clear. Paul's very clear in Galatians. We've been delivered from that part of it, and Christ became a curse for us. That's foundational, folks. You've got to understand this. Now, the writer goes on, and as he talks about that, he came down to the point... Uh, where he said this. It was not a question of God's ability to heal me, nor was it a question of His willingness to heal me. God had already done His part. It's past tense. Okay? It's already done. Uh, I, 
ask yourself this. How many sins had you committed when Jesus died on the cross? None. You're not, you weren't born then. So if his, if, his, if his death on the cross is good enough to forgive all your sins, uh, Isaiah chapter 53, Mark, uh, Matthew 8, 17, 1 Peter 2, 24, all say that by his wounds you were healed. So that happened then. You're not sick trying to get well. You're well and the enemy's trying to make you sick. That's the, that's the pure gospel. Not many people believe it. Very few of those that do believe it actually walk in it. Uh, my wife and I, we press to walk in it. We don't always get it right, but we're certainly aiming in that direction. Now, he goes on and he talked about Galatians 3.13, which we just read. And he accepted the truth of 2 Corinthians 1.20, which says all the promises of God are yea and in, in Jesus. Okay? Now, um, he made this comment. And this is where I think we fall. Whenever I felt pain, I worshiped God and thanked Him for His promise. With each pain, I said, Thank you, Jesus. I'm healed by your stripes. I thank you that sickness cannot stay in my body. What he was sick with, when he found out he was healed, his body still said he was sick. Now, he had the courage to say, no, I'm not sick. Here's what the Scriptures say. I'm going to stand on the Scriptures. And you can go to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.13. says, we believe, therefore we speak. You have to speak what God says. It's a, a little acronym that we had called BSA, Believe, Speak, and Act. If you believe it, you will speak it, and you'll act on what you believe. So if you believe God's healed you, we need to act on it. Now what does that look like? Well, it doesn't look easy. If you go back to, I'll never forget when I first read about Kenneth Hagin, Dr. Kenneth Hagin, E. Hagin, back in the 60s. No, no, this wouldn't have been in the 60s. This would have been in the 30s when he was 16 years old. Um, they, they gave him a list of things this long. Of what was wrong with him, and could, did, of course they didn't have anything to fix him. All the uh, everybody said, uh, "You're going to die." You know, let's just wait around for the end. And um, and to make a long story short, he got into the book of Mark and found out where God said you can have what you say. Mark 11, 22, 23, 24. He said he's the one that I first learned this from. And contrary to what some people say, he didn't write it. It was already in the Bible. But the point was, when he found out he'd been healed, he says, then I'm not sick. And, and, and the Lord spoke to him and said, well, people don't lay in bed. So he could hardly walk. In fact, he couldn't walk. He got out of bed and began walking and had a healing ministry for over 60-some years because he acted on what the Word said when he didn't feel like it. Now, he says, that day I repented for being sick. I took my stand against sickness. I rejected all the traditions I'd been taught about healing. I corrected my thoughts, my words, and my faith. And when I took the limits off of God, I began walking out my healing and have been walking in it ever since. Uh, then he quotes Hebrews 6.12, which basically says, uh, we follow those who by faith and patience inherit the promises. An easy way to look at that is... Um, Let's talk about football for a minute. Let's say football something I do know something about. Who's the greatest Super Bowl quarterback in history? Well, you had a lot of good ones. You had Joe Montana was great. 
Bradshaw was great. But if you want to know how to win a Super Bowl, I'm going to talk to Tom Brady. I'm not going to talk to Fran Tarkington. I'm not going to talk to Matt Ryan. I'm not going to talk to some of these guys that are okay quarterbacks, but they never won anything. Okay? Now, at this point, Tom Brady gets the job done. They trade him. He goes to a new team. They win the Super Bowl. Something about the guy. He's got something going on. So if I want to win a Super Bowl and I'm a quarterback, I want to find out what's he doing. Or what what did Joe Montana do? Or what did Terry Bradshaw do? What did some of these other great quarterbacks, Bradshaw I think won four, and I think Montana won three or four, probably three. What did they do to win? How, you know, how did they practice? What did they eat? What did they, you know, what time did they go to bed? What time did they... You learn everything you can about the guy that's successful, and that's what you want to go do. And, and um, one of the books that I would recommend every Christian read when they get born again, I, I, I think every Christian ought to have God's smuggler. And because you're going to hear a story about a guy that didn't know that you couldn't do the things that he did. So he just went and did them because he said, well, I think God wants me to do that. And there's a great story in here. I don't have time to read the whole story, but basically it was this. He went to a school, and uh, they, he wanted to learn how to be a missionary. And so they gave him a test. Him and, and a number of other people gave him a test. They gave him a, this was in the, in the 60s. So they gave him a one-pound note and said, you've got to go out for six weeks. Uh, you've got to preach the gospel, stay in hotels and eat food and everything. And this is the only money you get, and you're not allowed to take any offerings. So, what they do? Well, the first thing they did was they tithed off of the one-pound note, and then they went through the six weeks, and he tells a story about it. What happens when he got back, he found out everything that he had had been paid for. Everything that they were able to do, they did. And instead of having a one-pound note left, he had ten pounds in his pocket, of which he turned that back into the... He turned the one-pound note in, and I think he took the other pounds and put them someplace else. Uh, that they needed to, to something else to be paid for. Another group didn't do that. They decided they were going to pay their tithe, but they held on to their tithe just in case there was an emergency. He said they had emergencies all the time, and, and when it got done, they owed everybody any money, and they didn't have any money left over. Go back to Matthew 10. Jesus sent, the, sent everybody out. He says, don't take any money. Don't take a bag. Don't take extra clothes. The, the servant is worthy of his hire. Now, it's stepping out like that that we have faith. Do we have the faith to step out and do those kind of things? Um, and if you go on, we get back to the thing in Mark uh, where, where Jesus just told people to do things. And when they did it, you go back. We just taught uh, the other day uh, the Gospel of John. I'm teaching our Fresh Wind Recovery Group. And we went through... Uh, John chapter 2, where the miracle of uh, the turning the water into wine happened. And um, uh, the great line out of there was when Mary told the servants, he said, you go do whatever he tells you to do. We don't know why she told him that. He says this is his first public miracle. But obviously something has happened. And remember, this was a 12-year-old boy that they lost. I always thought it was funny. God gave Joseph and Mary the responsibility of his son as a baby, and, I, and they lose him for three days. I can imagine the conversation that Joseph had. He struggled with this whole virgin birth thing anyway, but he got figured out that was okay. But he, I can hear him saying to Mary, okay, 
God gives us His Son, and you lose Him. We've lost Him for three days. How do I go to God and say, I've lost your Son? Well, they found Jesus as a 12-year-old sitting in the temple talking to people, and they marveled at His wisdom at 12 years old. So clearly his mother learned something about it and said, whatever he tells you to do, go do it. So in the process of doing that, um, she learned that Jesus could do what it was that he said that he could do. And we, th- this is what we're asking here. So you go back to, in a, in, in a quick review, I, I think it's just critical that we go back and realize that it's our unbelief that causes us most of our problems. Julie and I have known a number of people that have prayed for cancer, that we've prayed for them, and they died. But we also know other people who did survive stage 4 cancer of various types. We go ask them, what do you know, uh, to me, the person that believes God and survived stage 4 cancer is a Tom Brady. I want to go find out, what did you do? How did this happen? Turns out, they spent a lot of time in the Word. They listened to healing. They shut off the news. They isolated everybody. And in the process of doing that, um, God did what He said He would do. And the Word came across and did exactly what He said it would do. So, I hope that helps you discuss a little bit about unbelief. Um, Next time we get back, we'll talk about removing unbiblical stipulations and some other things about the Word. appreciate your time, and I hope this helps. So let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You for Your time. I thank You for having died on the cross, forgiven us our sins, and healed our bodies. Father, we accept that, and thank You for it, sir, in Jesus' name. Look forward to seeing you next week.